Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. The Tampa Bay Rays have reclaimed home field advantage with their 6-4 win over the Dodgers in Game 2 of the World Series, even though they remain in Arlington. Gambetta was a happy bus ride back to the hotel. The Rays saw Blake Snell pitch well through almost five innings, and I'm glad Kevin Cash didn't listen to me because Brandon Lau played, and he broke out in a big way with two home runs and three runs batted in. Joey Wendell with a two-run single, and the Rays built a 5 to nothing lead. Then they hold on for the win. We'll talk all about Game 2, and we've got Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times to talk college football. The Big Ten is back. And the St. Pete Grand Prix is back as well. All that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Who's got the best party platters for your catering in Tampa Bay? Well, that's easy. It's Mr. Empanada. What the heck is an empanada? Well, here's what you do. You take your favorite foods. You place them inside a pocket of homemade dough that is cooked perfectly until it's golden brown and piping hot. Their empanadas are a fresh twist on some old favorites. Order delicious menu items made from scratch, including soups, salads, and Cuban sandwiches online at MrEmpanada.com, or you can call any of their seven convenient locations in Tampa Bay, where Latin food, quality, and service meet. It's Mr. Empanada. All right, Steve, after game one, it didn't look like the uh, Rays were going to put up much of a fight, losing to Clayton Kershaw. No shame in that. Um, But it was a dominant win by the Dodgers, and that just goes to show you that Baseball is a day-to-day game. That's why they play a seven-game series, not to get too high or too low. Uh, we'll talk about a certain column by Bill Plasky of the LA Times here in just a minute. But, um, you know, I I was ready to, to uh, sit Brandon Lau. I'd had enough. The guy's in a slump. You wanted to drop him in the order. Good thing, and there's a reason why neither one of us managed the Tampa Bay Rays because we wouldn't do it for very long. They needed Brandon Lau. They need him to get hot. He got as hot as you could be. Two home runs in game two to carry them out to a 5 to nothing lead, and they win 6-4. Not only that, but he had, I think, 15 home runs this season, right around there. Not one of them were opposite field home runs. He hit two opposite field home runs tonight. Yeah, it's a good sign. No, it's a very good sign. that, it, And, you know... I still say against Kershaw, they probably should have dropped him in the order. If you wanted, you mm-hmm. know, I, I I told my wife when the lineup came out this afternoon, I, I saw it. I'm like, what is he doing putting Brendan Lyle numbers two? I'd still, you know, I said I get tonight a little differently up higher in the order, but against the lefty on on uh, Tuesday, I would have definitely dropped him. But hey, it worked out, and and you know, Kevin Cash has talked about this. John Cooper talked about it with the Lightning. Is you know, if if your guys are struggling, you have to trust them and keep putting them out there. You can't just bench someone for for a uh, you know a slump. Uh, you know that doesn't do that doesn't do your team any good, or it doesn't do the player any good um, when they're one of your best players. I mean, you have to trust them and, and help them work through it. And and you know the other part of this, and we talked about this last night, the Rays generally struggle with aces, particularly left-handers, and. They struggled for the first six innings on Tuesday against Clayton Kershaw. 
once the bullpen came in, they started hitting. Now, you know, uh, was it, uh, I can't remember, the, uh, Gonzalez, the pitcher, he doesn't catch that line drive from Zanino, and that game gets interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the Dodgers had scored eight runs, it was going to be 8-4 with runners on the corners and one out at that point. Yeah. Um, and with three runs in that inning. that And, and going against the bullpen day-to-day, and I, I told you last night I thought they'd rebound and win tonight. Against those guys, that's where the Rays do their damage. Is yes, there's some aces out there. They don't hit very well, and they you basically struggle to get to the bullpen and hope you stay close enough to give you a shot for the last couple innings. That's been their mo for several years now against the best of the best. That's what Clayton Kershaw is. But tonight against the bullpen, they showed you they can put hits together. And remember that string of eight hits or less for ten straight postseason games. That's out the window now. They had ten mm-hmm. hits tonight. That's good. Uh, Randy Arozarena got his first hit. He ties Derek Jeter for the most hits in a postseason by a rookie now, 22. You know, Joey Wendell was good at the bat tonight. I mean, you started seeing some uh, – Willie Adamas got his first, you know, World Series hit. He's kind of struggled this postseason with hitting. Um, you know, and that, that's all good for confidence going into game three where now the series is tied and you've got Charlie Morton on the mound for game three. Yeah, you feel good, and uh, you know if if this at any point during a baseball season, you know, one hundred and sixty-two games, they played sixty this year, but um, you're going to have your best hitters go through two for twenty ones, and they all hit slumps usually multiple times a year, um, and you know they 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 learn how to get out of them. It's inexplicable, sort of how you fall into them, but but you do learn how to how to slowly come out of them. The problem is when you're in the postseason, you don't know if you're going to have enough games to see that occur. But for the Rays to win the World Series, and I think they've known this since the postseason began, Brandon Lau has to be their best player. So, you know, it's just like you know we were mm-hmm. talking about John Cooper a month ago when they were playing. You know, the Tampa Bay Lightning were in the Stanley Cup uh, final. It was you need your A players to be your best players on the ice every day, and you need your other guys to actually elevate their games. But your best players have to be the best players because you got to count on, you know, the other team. Their guys are going to come through, and so for the Rays to win, the only the only choice they had was for Brandon Lau to come back. And the thing about him is he has done this before. He has gone in slumps, but he's also very capable of carrying your team for a month. Well, they don't need a month. All they need is four more wins. I say a week or three more wins now. But yeah, they need a week. They need a good week out of Brandon Lau, and he just went yard twice. Um, go back a few games, you know, in the American League Championship Series, he had a home run in, in one of the final games there as well. So he's starting to heat up and heat up in a big way, and that's what they need because it's clear to me that the Dodgers, having watched Randy Orozarena just, you know, absolute pepper people all the way through the playoffs, you know, they're willing to walk him like a poodle. You know, they're throwing everything he's pitched is down, down, and even lower. And, yes, he had a hit. He got an infield hit, um, you know, over the third base bag, and he can run. He beat it out. But, you know, you can't expect him to do what he's done, which is literally put the team on his back offensively and and carry them all the way to the World Series. So the Dodgers are able to pitch around him so long as guys like Brandon Lau, you know, and Austin Meadows aren't hitting. But, you know, eventually those guys have to come out of it if they're going to win games. And – I, I just think it was a great sign. I mean, two home runs, opposite field means you're staying on the ball. Um, you're not pulling off. And, um, you know, obviously he made great contact. So, you know, I guess the, in a bullpen day, which is weird, I'm, I'm sure 
Dodger fan has seen this before, but how very Andrew Friedman of them to, uh, you know, to go this route. And and the Rays had Blake Snell. And look, I I wasn't very keen on the way Blake Snell has pitched. He's he's always seemed to be like four and two thirds, hundred and ten pitches. You know, two or three runs, five walks, and he and he sort of was caught in. He was a little in between. I mean, he was better than that. Obviously, he only gave up the two runs. And he had no hits there all the way, I think, almost going into the fifth inning. Mm-hmm. But then he did He did have his walks, um, and he got in a little bit of a jam. He gave up a couple runs, and he didn't get out of the fifth as well as he pitched. But at times, he was dominant. I mean, he was striking out guys, you know, to an inning and mowing, mowing some people down. That's a tough lineup to go through, you know, at least twice, um, much less three times. So he did his job. He didn't get the win, per se, but he did his job. For four and innings, he, looked, he was dominant. Yeah, he looked like Blake Snell. Yeah. He looked like the Blake Snell that, you know, was capable of winning a Cy Young and all of that. So that might have been the best sign because the next time Blake Snell is out there, um, you expect him to do it again. He can attack hitters. His slider was just a wipeout. You know, he just had such a good feel for that pitch. He threw it on any count. Um, and, again, aside from the one really bad inning where, you know, he walked the first two guys, you know, he, he managed to uh, – he managed to, to – attack hitters and and they were defensive and they they were a lot of swing and miss stuff i mean his stuff is so good that if he just has fastball command and works everything off of that he can be virtually unhittable at times and then they turn it over to the bullpen and you know there were some hiccups there along the way with uh what was it fairbanks i think um gotten a little bit of a jam but um you know they they managed to uh you know, look the Rays. If you look at that stat, you get the six innings. If you're not, if you're, if you're trailing, they're not giving up the lead. They're just not. Well, they're thirty-two and seven this year, and seven and one in the postseason when they score first. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that that's that bullpen they have. Is that you know, you get yeah. them a lead, and they generally hold it. Um, Blake right. Snell for four innings, so he struck out. He had two strikeouts in four consecutive innings in a World Series game. He's the third pitcher in history to do that. Sandy Koufax and. Tell me who else. Bob Gibson. Bob freaking Gibson. Holy cow. When you, That's when, pretty good company. Yeah, when you're mentioned with those two guys. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I didn't like in the you know the fifth inning. Yeah. You got a five nothing lead and you're nibbling. Yeah, you can't. You know, you, it, can't. It's, you know, he gave up the home run to Taylor and, and you and I were texting, I was texting with a few other people. If you don't walk the guy, who cares? You know, if it's you give up a, a solo shot, who cares with a five run lead? Exactly. But when you walk the guy first and give it up, now you gave up two runs. Exactly. You know, and and maybe he was just losing his stuff. I, I thought Kevin Cash, knowing Blake Snell's history the last year and a half, and I, I would have had Anderson up quicker. I don't think mm-hmm. I would have let it go as far as it did in the in the fourth or the fifth inning there when he when he finally pulled but he Blake didn't let after him four finish. two thirds. He didn't let him finish though. He no. went and got him. I mean, I think he was trying to get Blake the win. Yeah, uh, but you know, I, I I think they left the starting pitcher in too long again. Mm-hmm. Although I, I, you know, looking back at Game One, I, I think I think he left Glasnow as long as he did because he said we're going against Kershaw. I don't think we're going to win this game. They were down already. The more innings he can eat, it's it saves the bullpen for tomorrow. I, you know, I, I don't I don't know that's what his thinking was, but the more you look at it, it you know they had everybody rested for tonight, which is why I would have gone and gotten Blake out earlier tonight. Because your eight mm-hmm. bullpen was rested, and you have an off day Thursday. 
Well, and the only way they were going to get back in is if they scored a heap of runs. And if they did that and they got mm-hmm. back in and he would go to his A bullpen. But I think you're right. Yep. I think you manage for a seven-game series just like you manage for 162 games or 60-game season. You know, mm-hmm. there are some nights that you just, you know, have have a guy eat up innings and take it on the chin for the team. That's his job. Go out there, eat up some innings. You might you might give up some runs. But, you know, we accept the fact that, Clayton Kershaw's probably got us tonight, you know, and we're going to try to get them. We're going to put everything into tomorrow night because we want to tie this series. And like I said, you know, even though they're not changing stadiums and they're going to stay at the, you know, in Arlington, there is a decided advantage to being a home team in baseball. There just is. And so had this series started in Los Angeles in, in you know, pre-COVID days, they would be on a flight back. And they would feel really good about what they did because they would have just taken home field from the Dodgers. They they would have done their job. They won one out of two games there, and now they'd have a chance to come home to the trop and hold serve. And if you did that, you know, you're in terrific shape. You're probably going to win the World Series. So that's kind of the position they put themselves in. And you got to feel good about having, you know, Charlie Morton, CFM, um, going for you. When you look at what he's done in the postseason, I think his ERA is .05 something. And he's three and zero. So, you know, and and again, the Dodgers are going to counter with uh, with one of their best pitchers too. Yeah, Bueller is going to pitch. Well, that, that's a that's a heck of a pitching matchup for Game Three. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it really deci- determines who kind of takes control of the series. You right. know, being up two one compared to being down down two one. Um, right. that, that's a key game in the series. So, uh, good matchup off day. So the bullpen should pretty much be rested for both teams too. Although then you're mm-hmm. going to play three straight games. You know you're playing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday now uh, before you get another off day on Monday if you need a game six or seven in the series. So, Right. You could use some length out of your starters. You really could. You know, you could use them to get through five, maybe into the six, maybe pitch the six. Um, that would certainly help you with these, with these three games coming up here in a row. Of course um, – not everybody's a believer in the Rays, and I certainly wasn't feeling great about their chances after game one. But Bill Plasky, who's a friend of mine uh, from the Los Angeles Times, I don't know. This is sort of the genius of newspaper columnists, right? I mean, we're going to talk about it, so his mission has been accomplished. There's also, I think, a little bit of watch me put all the pressure on the Los Angeles Dodgers, a team that has gone to its third World Series in four years, and by God, they better win it this year. Read what Plasky had to say about Game 1. Uh, yeah, this, this came out a couple hours after Game 1 on Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning. And I'll just read the beginning of the, the article. Yes. Can a World Series be over after one game? <laughs> this one looks like it. Clayton Kershaw wiping off the sweat and gaining ground on his ghosts. This one feels like it. Cody Bellinger sending another fastball dancing before celebrating with a dugout ballet. This one sounds like it. Mookie Betts screeching around the bases and shrieking across home plate before screaming down at the dirt. The first game of the World Series appeared to be an essential end of the World Series on Tuesday. The powerful Dodgers treating the puny Tampa Bay Rays <laughs> like the junior varsity in an 8-3 win that raised Whoa. but one question. The Dodgers cannot blow this, can they? No, they cannot. <laughs> no, they will not. <laughs> okay. I'll give you some words and some key words there. Some fighting the puny Tampa Bay Rays. And junior varsity. And junior varsity Tampa Bay Rays. That's just disrespectful, man. That just is. I realize um, that it's overreaction Monday. You know, in the NFL, we always talk about that. You know, that one game, and all of a sudden, the whole season's completely different. But yep. and and you know, 
as uninspiring as, as some of the, the hitting was in game one for the Rays, it was one game against an ace. And, you know, to, to jump to those conclusions, I mean, the Dodgers may win this series in five games. I mean, they've lost one game now. It doesn't mean they can't win the next three. But the Rays were there for a reason. They were the top team in the American League for a reason. It's not that that they can't well, compete with the Dodgers. They took down the Yankees and the Astros for God's sakes. Aren't those big market, big money teams? Are there bigger? Is there a bigger market or more or bigger payroll than the New York Yankees? Uh, I believe Yankees are one, Dodgers two, Astros were either three or four. Yeah, so there you go. They've already taken down Goliath. This is just another Goliath. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I think the Dodgers are probably the most talented roster in baseball, and like I said, they may win this series in five games. But they're not going to sweep it now, and it sure didn't look. It sure didn't look like the puny Tampa Bay Rays tonight. It right. looked like a junior varsity team. No, and and I I do think because I know Bill, I do think mm-hmm. that there's there's a little bit of okay, you've lost, you know, the the last two World Series you were in. This is the third time in four years. You sure aren't going to lose to these guys. <laughs> well, know? it's the whole but, adage of the Rays, you know, that you're seeing a lot of. National people, you know, the Rays shouldn't be there. It's bad for baseball. Bad for baseball. Bad for, yeah. you know, all the stories that you're seeing or reading. And, right. and you know, it's just, it's kind of typical, but I, I was laughing at it. You know, it's over in one game. Okay, sure. But see, all that does, all that really does, and I was listening to, um, who was it? John Smoltz was on Dan Patrick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, of course, he pitched for the Braves, who year after year after year, you know, they would win their division. And they would go into the postseason, and they were always favored to win the World Series, and they couldn't even get there for the longest time, much less win it. And so, like he said, he goes, you know, every year you went back, you had to continually answer questions about what the past was, you know, what had happened, you know, two years ago and three years ago, and it all was was sort of like building, you know, part of a narrative that, you know, you, you can't win in the postseason, you can't win the World Series, and he said, so you expend a lot of energy and you forget as you're, you just want to go out there and execute. You just want to go out there and play. Um, but, but you're having to deal with all these, reliving all these bad moments and things. He goes, you know, it, it kind of, it, it gets you to thinking about stuff you normally wouldn't even think about. You just go out there and play and compete. That's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think that in, in a way, um, look, the, the, the Dodgers are, prohibitive favorites over the race for a lot of reasons and yet these are the teams with the two best records in baseball but they do have an inordinate amount of pressure on them to win because of what's happened in the past because they haven't won a world series since 88 and because they have been there you know whether whether the astros cheated or not they didn't win those world series and so you know this game to tie the series 1-1 there's going to be an awful lot of pressure on that ball club you know, mm-hmm. come game three. and Well, let's not forget in game one for the Rays, too, is outside of what, Charlie Morton? Who's been in a World Series before on this roster? None. You just named him. You know, so how, you know, what nerves did some of those hitters have? And then you're going up against Clayton Kershaw. Oh, sure. Um, you know, as you get into game two and you got later in game one, you, you, you saw the Rays kind of settle in a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, this is, you know, and, and the other part of this is for the first time they played in front of fans. This year, right? I mean, the, the Dodgers did, the Dodgers Dodger did in the NLCS. Well, sure, but the Dodgers did in the NLCS. Right. The Rays didn't have any fans till the World Series. That was the first game uh, they played in front of fans too. So, you know, the other thing is the Dodgers have been in Arlington all this time. This is a, this is mm-hmm. a new ballpark. 
mm-hmm. for the Rays. You yeah. know, they're just settling in. And it's a and, brand new ballpark, so I mean, the Rays yeah, have not played there before. No one had played there until uh, yeah, right. And but but and yet, you know, the Dodgers haven't had to leave. They've they've been there throughout the playoffs. So there there is some newness. There was some adjustment that mm-hmm. adjustments that had to take place. And the biggest thing was they just didn't hit. That's not a headline anymore mm-hmm. when you're the Tampa Bay Rays going against a guy like Clayton Kershaw. So you add all of that, you have an 0-1 deficit, you come back, you get your ace out there, he pitches like one for the most part, still couldn't get through five, <laughs> <laughs> which is just Snell, man. You know what? They Somebody should do a montage of Snell's face when Kevin Cash comes to get the ball. I'd love to see all the times that Cash has had to take this guy well, out. Or, or the first time he thinks he didn't get a strike call, too. Yeah, that too. That, that's when it kind of went downhill in the fifth there. A little bit. He yeah. thought he thought he should have got a strike call or two on the first walk. Yeah, and, and then he never recovered from that. Right. Right. Yeah. He just he let it get in his head a little bit, and it was he he deserved to get those calls, and he didn't get them. But that's part of baseball. You're not mm-hmm. going to get everyone. Um, but yeah, the facial expressions and the you know the size and <laughs> the eye rolls. Oh my God, this guy. Drama, drama, man. Just pitch, <laughs> you know? But You got such good stuff. But it's 1-1. It's 1-1. It's now a best-of-five series. They're three wins away from being world champions. Yeah. And, and, and for Rays fans, this is only the second World Series game you that this franchise has won in history. Enjoy How this. How about that? How about that? Enjoy it. This is fantastic. I mean, it's only the second. You know, they lost to the, the, the Phillies, what, 4-1? to one. Yeah. You know, so enjoy this. This was uh, it was a fun victory, and you got mm-hmm. some guys breaking out of slumps in this, which is going to help you down the line. And then you get Charlie right. Morton coming game three. So, see, here's the thing: um, no matter what the pundits say, right, and and no matter what the payroll says, none of that matters to this extent. The Rays believe they can win. In fact, the Rays know they can win. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're, they have they have done this, you know, this has been a process where, you know, you win 90-something games, you take you take the Astros to game five in the ALDS last year, they were cheating, whatever, maybe. Um, but you felt it, you knew it. You come back and you have the best record in baseball in a year with a pandemic, with guys going in and out, with 12 pitchers getting, 13 pitchers or so, 12, 13 getting saves, a bunch of different, that many starters, all the things you've had to deal with, and you go, you go forty and twenty. Um, you know they have. This is not. You know they're not thinking that maybe they can win. They're not thinking. Um, I hope we win. No, this this baseball team knows it can win this series. You know they know they can take down the Los Angeles Dodgers. They've got to go out and they've got to execute and they've got to do it. And there's a big difference between thinking you can win or knowing you can win and actually winning. But it's it's not a question of belief for this baseball team. You know, this is for them. Like I said, they've gone through the Yankees, they've gone through the Astros, and how did they go through the Astros? They were up three zero, then it was three one, then three two, then it's tied. All the momentum out of out of the building, out of the dugout, and then you come back for a winner take all game seven, and you you pull you get it done, you nail it right to get to the World Series. So adversity, they've stared at it, they've heard it, they've read it. You don't think those, you know, the New York tabloids, um, what they were writing about the Yankees losing to the Rays. I mean, they they know what everybody else says about them, and they embrace it. Mm-hmm. They love it because they're a bunch of guys that have been DFA'd or quit on or, you know, came up through the minor leagues. There's very few of them, actually, 
um, really, you know, came through. But a lot of them have come from other organizations, given up on, traded as as part of deals for other players. Um, these guys have all the belief in the world. So nothing's going to intimidate them out of this series. You know what I mean? You'll have to beat them. You'll have to drag them out, and you'll have to beat them in big moments. And tonight, when the Rays got the lead, the Dodgers came back. They had a chance. And the Rays absolutely shut the door with their bullpen, just slammed it on them. Well, and think about this. If the Rays go out on Friday and Charlie Morton and the Rays beat the Dodgers, mm. now the Dodgers are down 2-1 to one going, we're not going to lose our third World Series in four mm-hmm. years, are we? Oh, it's hey, the pressure's already there right now. Right now. I can't wait to read what Bill Plasky writes tomorrow. Um, because And that's part of the genius of what he did after game one, which like, this is over. You guys can't lose it. I mean, basically, in so many words, he's saying, you're surely not going to lose to this JV team, are you? <laughs> you know? And, and I guarantee you, Dave Roberts, if he reads the newspaper or, or wherever he takes his news, he's going to go, really, Bill? You know? Or you think this is easy? Did you see who these guys just beat? You know, a healthy Yankee team with all their stars back. Uh, a roll this Chapman in the eighth inning, you know, by Mike Brasso hitting a home run. I mean, the, you can't kill them, you know. They're Freddy Krueger, man. They won't go away. So, good for the Rays. World Series win. I, I do yeah. like uh, Steven Stamkos. I don't know if you saw his uh, social media post before the game. Uh-huh. He said, uh, game ones are overrated. You know, go raise tonight, raise up. Because if you remember the Lightning <laughs> lost game one of the series yeah. against the Stars. so They sure did. <laughs> they sure did. And they came back and they won it. And and maybe maybe they are overrated a little bit. You know? No, that's why a, it takes four to win, not just one. Yeah, so a, a lesson that the Rays learned in the ALCS. Um, they were up 3-0, and that fourth one did not come right away. In fact, they had to wait quite a few games for it, so. Yeah, it'll be great. Uh, great to see them. They get a, they finally get a little bit of rest anyway, and so will we, which will be nice as well. Yeah, so we won't be up to, you know past midnight tomorrow night recording this podcast. So that's fantastic. Or tonight, I should say. But you did have a chance to uh, talk earlier with our Matt Baker, of the Tampa Bay Times. Big weekend coming aboard in college football. The Big Ten is back. I'm happy about that. On Wisconsin, my wife's team. We'll get to see them. Your Michigan Wolverines. We'll be playing football. It's going to feel like college football again, well, Ohio State. It's nice looking at you know whatever app you pick, you know the CBS Sports app or Fox Sports or ESPN app, and you look at the college football schedule, it looks full now. Yes. I know the Pac-12's yes. not back yet and the Mac's not back, but adding the Big Ten and you know as you're getting more and more conferences playing, it's looking more full and there's more, there's more games to watch and take in and that schedule looks a lot better. And in a couple of weeks when the Pac-12 starts, it'll look really good. Absolutely. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, Matt Baker joins us now as uh, college football is uh, really getting underway now as the Big Ten will start playing this week. So we still have, what, the Pac-12 have not started, the MAC hasn't started yet, but we're getting there. 
We're getting a lot more teams starting to play. So the schedule, when you pull up your ESPN app or any whatever app you use for college football, you're starting to see a lot more games, which is always a good thing. And here to break it down is Matt Baker from the Tampa Bay Times, a college football writer. And Matt, let's start at Florida, where we already know this week's game has uh, been postponed due to COVID. Uh, Florida has shut down their their daily football operations, I guess, uh, for the last, what, week plus now at this point. So what's the latest from uh, Gainesville? Yeah, so it, it's always it's a fluid situation. Um, the The numbers are kind of hard to pin down because we don't have the exact dates and the exact timeline. But here's what I can say: um, as of the test done on October twelfth, there were uh, six cases for the month of October, six positives. And as of the ones that were finished on the nineteenth, they were up to thirty one for the month. So that's twenty five more. Um, you know, since we last talked, uh, head coach Dan Mullen announced that he tested positive. Um, he was on the SEC conference call uh, on Wednesday and said that they, the the program had at least one positive that from the tests that were done on Tuesday as well. So, um, the, the, but like you said, the the program is shut down. They're not doing football stuff. Um, they shut down on t- uh, Tuesday of last week, and the goal is that they would resume on Monday, so Monday of of Missouri week heading into that Halloween game. Uh, Mullen said they would not have the full team then. Um, I don't know how many people would be there, but the, the hope is that they would have enough on Monday to have a practice and, and to be able to get ready with enough guys to play a game. And the FCC threshold is 53. Um, so again, I don't have the exact numbers. I don't know who. I don't know the positions, anything like that. But uh, it's safe to say that things are still pretty dicey there. And assuming everything does happen, assuming they can go back Monday and, and Mullen again, depending on the timeline, may or may not be there, it, it's still a tough road to climb. Um, just because they would have gone 14 days without a football practice. Um, I don't know the exact setup of everybody who's ill or, or infected or, or quarantined and how much athletic stuff they've been able to do. Um, so there's questions about how, what, I mean, I assume they'll be in, in good shape, but are they in game shape? I don't know. How much are the Gators going to have to account for that when they get back at practice? Uh, how much did the two weeks of not doing anything hurt them um, against a Missouri team with a new coaching staff? And, and, and on and on the, the list goes. And even if they're able to get past Mizzou, let's not forget they got Georgia, the biggest game of the year, coming up a week after that. So there's still a lot of kind of uncertainty in Gainesville and a, a very tough road ahead. Well, and, and I believe if I read your story properly that uh, Dan Mullen and, and Scott Strickland, the athletic director, believe that this stemmed from the trip to Texas A&M, correct? Correct. So the thought process behind that, that it, it goes as follows. Before the trip, they had no major issues. Um, they, know that, they know now that one or two people, uh, one or two players went on the trip who had been experiencing some sort of like allergy-like symptoms. Um, and didn't report it as they were supposed to, and then uh, subsequently tested positive. And again, they don't know that there was like one particular event that might have caused it. It's just a matter of everything that goes on with a road trip. And, and to be clear, there's no allegation of malfeasance or anything mm-hmm. like that by AM uh, or for AM. There's nothing that about the fans causing it, nothing like that. But the thought process is the Gators went from Gainesville, where they have their own bubble of sorts. Then they get on an airplane with an enclosed space. And then they're staying in hotels, which were enclosed spaces, and having a pregame meal in an enclosed space. And in a locker room, a visiting locker room that's not as big and spread out as the one in Gainesville. And all those type of things create more proximity from one player to the other than they would have normally. 
And the thought process is that somewhere along the way, something began to spread. And it got to the point where it went from, again, uh, six positive cases, I think it was, uh, as of October 12th, to where they are now, which is at least 31 for the month of October. And my guess is, based on what we what they said, probably a little higher than that. We'll go up the road now to Tallahassee, where the Florida State team that we thought uh, wasn't looking very good, hadn't played very well, kind of looked like the Florida State teams of the last few years, pulls the big upset against North Carolina. How did that happen? <laughs> That's a great question. I'm still kind of scratching my head on that. Um, look, Mike McGraw's a really good coach. Uh, mm-hmm. It was easy to kind of forget that or to doubt him early in the year because things were not going well. But look, he's a really good coach who knows what he's doing. And he came in, I thought, with a very good game plan against UNC. North Carolina did, did not play particularly well. Um, but give Florida State a lot of credit for, for what they did, um, the way they prepared. They saw something on film where they thought they could block, if they did such and such, they could block a punt against Florida State or against UNC. And lo and behold, they did. Um, Josh Kando, the potential you know, high round draft pick at, at defensive end for FSU, had watched a lot of film and saw what they were doing on some of the screens. And lo and behold, he uses that and, and gets a pick six out of it. Um, I'm not going to say Florida State is not back because of this. They're, mm-hmm. they're still a, a, a fine team, average team maybe. they still got a ways to go to get back. But th- this was huge for, for a bunch of different reasons. You know, they, they figured out the way to use uh, Jordan Travis, um, the, the, the quarterback, who, again, this week is going against Louisville where, where he used to play. Um, they, they figured out how to close to some degree. You know, you, you look at one of the reasons Willie Taggart isn't at the coach at FSU anymore. They 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 failed to close out games, whether it was a, losing a, a was a twenty point lead against Miami, eighteen points twice against Boise State in that opener. Um, some of the other kind of double digit losses or, or or close wins that they had and then shouldn't have over his tenure. But this time, Florida State found a way to win. It happened because North Carolina dropped three passes in a row in the final possession. But still, give FSU credit for some of the things they did and grinding out the clock and. They found a way to win rather than finding a way to lose. Uh, and that's that's a huge moment for the program because it, it's easy for things to have snowballed this year, especially with the pandemic and Norvell not having enough time to build relationships with people and just the way how rocky everything was in the first seven months or eight months or whatever it is. But when you get a win like this, it, it's a proof of concept win. That's the phrase I'm stealing from Stephen Godfrey, a proof of concept win that says, hey, what we're doing works. Stay with us. Keep buying in. What we're doing works, and if you keep doing it, we're going to have more nights like the one we had Saturday night against North Carolina. Well, let's go back to Jordan Travis, and and you wrote about how a key possession at the end of the first half really shows how the coaching staff is starting to have confidence in him, but how his confidence on the field is making a difference now, and it's it's really that's kind of helped turn it around for Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. You, You look at what he did through the first part of his tenure. He was a he was a gadget player. He he could go in and and run a few plays, and I do mean run because he wasn't a threat to throw the ball. Um, he wasn't particularly accurate. It, it it just didn't work. But you look at what he did at the end of uh, the, at the end of the first half, the, the two minute drive where they ended up scoring a touchdown. Um, he did everything he needed to do. First, it was a design run, not an explosive play, but a big play to start and say, okay, FSU needs to kind of put the pedal to the metal here let's and, and try and go rather than being conservative. Um, he eluded pressure and, and scrambled. He made a nice downfield pass to Warren Thompson. That was looked pretty, <laughs> looked pretty to me. Um, and then the, the, the biggest one was the touchdown where he he's under pressure. He rolls out. 
The Jordan Travis of two weeks ago, and certainly a year or two ago, once he's under pressure, would have just tucked it and ran. But that's not what he did. Uh, you know, the FSU coaching staff harped on him all week about when you scramble to get out of pressure, look downfield. Don't turn a passing play into a run unless you have to. So what did he do? He rolled out to the right, scrambled, kept his eyes downfield, and lo and behold, Cam McDonald, his big tight end, found a way to get open and caught a touchdown on, on, on his knees in the end zone. And that's the type of play Jordan Travis would not have made at Louisville. It's not one he, he would have made uh, last year under Willie Taggart. It's not one he would have made a couple weeks ago. But it's the kind he made Saturday, and it ended up being one of the big pivotal plays of the game. Let's go on to USF now, where they've picked a starting quarterback now, Jordan McLeod, who they went up to Temple, lost by just a couple points there. But he had a pretty good game, other than he fumbled the ball a few times. But as far as the passing game goes, he's really progressing and coming around nicely, isn't he? Yeah, I, I certainly think so. There, there's maybe some, some signs of progress. Um, you know, like, like our colleague Joey Knight uh, wrote the other day, one of the – I don't want to say it's a lost year for USF. It's kind of a lost year for everybody in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing – USF's not going to compete for a championship. So one of the big things about this year is what are the building blocks for a young uh, program in terms of the, the, the coaching staff that's still learning what they're doing? And as Joey wrote, they need to figure out whether Jordan McLeod's their, their quarterback of the future or not. Um, as they go into the 2021 season, which fingers crossed will be a lot more normal looking, is he the guy or isn't he? And there's been kind of some pros and cons on both sides, and they've got some time here that the next uh, what month and a half or whatever to figure that out, starting against a, a, a Tulsa team on, on Friday night that I, I don't I don't know what to make of Tulsa. Um they might be good because they, they hung with Oklahoma State and they, they knocked off UCF, but they look bad and almost beating Oklahoma State. So I, I, don't, I don't know what to make of this Golden Hurricane team. They're, they're very interesting to me. Um, and, and we'll see what uh, USF's able to do against, uh, against them on, on Friday night at uh, Ray J. We'll stay in the AAC real quick, but a big game as far as that championship goes. Cincinnati's at SMU. Cincinnati hasn't played in a few weeks uh, for COVID reasons. And they're number, what, nine in the country, but they have to travel to SMU 16. So a big game in the AAC. Yeah, that's one of those, like, I don't want to call it a sneaky good game, but it's a really nice weekend because, you know, the Big Ten's back and the Boise State's back and that. But this is a game that I'm excited to kind of check out because Cincinnati, their calling card, they've got a really good defense. You know, through through three games, they've allowed 37 points, and I think some of those are were kind of fluky. And SMU's offense is awesome. You know, uh, Shane Bouchelle, the former Texas quarterback, is lighting things up. They've got a, a, a fun running back, Ulysses, Ulysses Bentley the Fourth, which is just an awesome name. Um, and, and they put up a ton of points, and, and they've been undefeated so far, able to eke out some close wins against uh, Memphis and, and Tulane. So that's a huge, huge AAC game. And you know, for all we know, uh, I think it certainly has New Year's Six Group of Five uh, p- potential. And in this weird year maybe it ends up mattering in the college football playoff too all right miami uh they bounced back after that loss to clemson uh, with the win over Pitt. they've got virginia this weekend what should we expect from that you know what impressed me about miami is the way that they were able to rebound because mm-hmm. the hurricanes teams of the last few years would have let one loss become two we saw that uh, plenty of times with the way they fl- played florida state over the years They'd lose a heartbreaker or get killed by the Knolls, and then they wouldn't recover for a week or two. But they came back after losing a, a game to, to Clemson where they weren't really that close and beat a pretty decent pit team. 
So I, I think that's definite signs of progress there for Manny Diaz and his staff. And, you know, uh, on Virginia, the most interesting thing that or one of the most interesting things that I'm watching this weekend, I want to see what Miami's receivers do. Um, I don't put a lot of stock in the depth charts that, that teams come out with, with just because it's it's a lot of guesswork. And I, I don't want to get in the weeds that much unless I need to. But Manny and the Canes had nine different receivers as potential starters. All three spots, it's or, or, or. Three different guys that eat out all three spots. What does that mean? To me, it means this position's up for grabs. We haven't been cutting it there, and we need to get better. So every, it's complete open competition. Nobody has anything. And that's the way it should be. Um, it, in terms of explosive passing plays, even though they've got Derek King, they've been kind of average. They haven't been okay because they haven't sp- stretched the field vertically enough because the receivers aren't great. Uh, I think Miami has 11 passing touchdowns this, this season. Receivers only have three of them. So the, the receivers haven't been cutting it. We saw that against Clemson. And so I'm curious to see who can step up. Maybe it's a Mark Pope or a Hartley or one of those guys, uh, maybe some of the freshmen, to, to step up and really kind of be the explosive playmakers that Miami needs if they're going to get back into being a, a, uh, you know, a, a really good program again. You mentioned earlier Georgia, who Florida's going to face in two weeks. Uh, they got beat by Alabama. They had the lead at the half and then didn't score in the second half. So what do you make of that Georgia team, and, and how good is Alabama this year? Alabama's really good. Um, I, I went back and forth on my AP ballot this week, uh, Clemson or Bama. I, I, I didn't think I could drop Clemson after they won by 67 points or 66 <laughs> points, um, and, and Clemson's just awesome. It's Looking at the playoff, because every college football season is viewed through that lens now, well, it's Clemson and Bama and, and probably Ohio State, and the fourth one doesn't matter because they're not going to be as good as the other three. I think it's kind of that simple. Bama's just really good. Their offense is unbelievable with, with Devontae Smith and, and Jalen Waddell and uh, you know that, that downfield passing attack that would have made Nick Saban throw up a couple years ago. That's who they are, and they're really good at it. Georgia, I think the, the issue is at quarterback. You know, Stetson Bennett was was good for the first couple of games and you give him you absolutely give him credit for that. But at a certain point you need to be better than good if you're going to beat a team like Bama or in the potentially in the playoffs Clemson or maybe Florida for all we know. And, and he he doesn't seem to have that I don't know if he has that yet. If he has that gear that he can go to. Um you know, and you look at the way Georgia would have been at quarterback if Jamie Newman had been there, that would have been a major difference maker. And, and JT Daniels a five star from USC tremendously talented we you know we'll see whether he gets healthy enough and the 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 dogs feel confident enough for him to 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 play and make a difference but right now they don't they're they're missing they're they're missing something george is a really good team that's missing something and they're missing a really good passing attack and i don't know that they've got a minute this year to to um go out and and try and win the sec or go to the playoff otherwise they're going to be a really good team with one fatal flaw the possibly the game of the week this week is Iowa State at Oklahoma State. And the reason I say that is it's the two highest ranked teams as far as a matchup. But Oklahoma State's the only undefeated team left in the Big 12 at early, this early in the season. And their gauntlet the next month is Iowa State, who's ranked. Then they get Texas. Then they get Kansas State, who's ranked in Oklahoma. So the next month will determine pretty much whether the Big 12 will have an undefeated team or not. And we may know that by early November. <laughs> we may know that by by Saturday because yes. Iowa State's pretty good. Um, they, they, when I do my my AP ballot, 
every week or every other week, I hear from some random fan base that I uh, offended for, for some reason. And this weekend, one of the ones was Oklahoma State um, because I had them a lot lower than everybody else. Oklahoma State can be good. They, they have potential. You know, Chuba Hubbard's one of the most electric running backs in the country. Um, Spencer Sanders, when he's now, I want to see how healthy he is and what he can do uh, just because he's been, been banged up this year. But you look at their resume so far. That went over Tulsa. I don't know what to make of that because I don't know how good Tulsa is. They beat West Virginia by two scores. That's good. And then they killed Kansas. Okay, you did what you're supposed to do. Kansas is awful. So I don't know. I don't have a good read on them just because of who they've played, which is not their fault, and, and because of the cancellations they've had, which, again, not their fault. But Iowa State's going to be the, the real test. You know what, what Matt Campbell has done over the years, uh, the last couple of years, uh, he's a really, really good X's and O's coach and is going to uh, figure out a way to you know try and slow down Mike Gundy and, and the Cowboys. And yeah, definitely one of the more interesting games of the weekend for sure. All right. Well, the Big Ten is back now. And of course, Nebraska, who was leading the charge for the Big Ten to return to play as soon as they had canceled it, of course, they get to open at Ohio State to start the noon kickoff window for the Big Ten. So is this even going to be a game? I don't think so. I, I really don't. Um, Ohio State is tremendously talented. Again, they're in that mix to me with, with Bama and Clemson. Pretty much, not Sharpie yet, but penciled them in for the playoff, and we'll see whatever team's going to be the fourth team to lose to one of those guys. Um, Nebraska's not there. You know, they, They've got some talent. Adrian Martinez at quarterback still. Feels like he's been there forever. But they're a step or several behind, and they're going to be a sacrificial lamb for, for Justin Fields and the Buckeyes in week one. Well, the other big game where game day will be this Saturday is Michigan at Minnesota. That's a pretty good matchup to the Big Ten to start the season. Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, the little brown jug uh, trophy. Uh, I think Minnesota is going to be able to keep putting up points. You know, if P.J. Fleck knows what he's, he's doing, rowing the boat and all that. But look, they've got Tanner Morgan, a returning quarterback who passed for 3,000 something yards last year. Rashad Bateman was one of the weird players who opted out and then opted back in. That was huge for them because there's not a lot of receivers in the country that I think are better than him. So that's a great one-two punch to start with, with, with the Gophers. And Michigan, I don't know how their offense is going to be. You know, they, uh, Shea Patterson's is gone at quarterback. Um, I, have, I have questions about uh, how Harbaugh has developed quarterbacks or hasn't developed quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And I think they lost four or five uh, starters on the offensive line. So I don't know that Michigan is going to be able to, to put up enough points to hang with Minnesota. I am curious to see how Joe Milton from Pahokee plays. Uh, he's going to be the starting quarterback this year. Dylan McCaffrey, who is um, the younger brother of um, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey. Uh, it's transferring from Michigan. So that was, it was expected to be the starter. So Joe Milton will be the starter. So I'm curious to see how he does. Um, you know, the reports come out raving about how he's in practice, but that happens with every team every year. So you never know. Yeah, not a lot of times you hear that this guy, this quarterback, is, is god awful. It's, it's why, why would we be starting him? So, yeah, we'll 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 see. Um, like I said, one of the surprises of the Harbaugh era to me. Uh, obviously, you look at how they haven't won a lot of the big bowl games. They haven't beat Ohio State, and uh, Harbaugh doesn't have a great record against the the ranked uh, against ranked teams. But he hasn't developed a quarterback, mm-hmm. and, and he's a guy who, again, he he played quarterback he was captain come back with, with the, the indianapolis colts and what have you and uh you know developed andrew luck who i think was a, a good player of some renown if i recall and chris and uh, colin kaepernick so for him to have not developed a quarterback here we are what is this year six for him or, or whatever it is 
that that's that's pretty surprising to me. And if you want to get kind of look in the weeds on Michigan, he only has two years left on his contract. That's weird, um, because in, in college football, if that's approaching lame duck status, and teams don't like and coaches don't like to be in the lame duck status because it's not good for recruiting. And you need more than that to have some something substantial to show. Look, this guy's not going anywhere. We're not letting go of him. See, his contract's good for another 80 years. That's also why schools end up having to pay zillions of dollars to buy coaches out, but that's neither here nor there. So the fact that he his, his contract is scheduled to, to end after the 2021 season is a it, – it's, it's, it's weird, like everything with Harbaugh, and that's just something to monitor this year. That's, that's all I'm saying, just well, something to monitor. There was talk of a lifetime contract a year or two ago, and, and I – believe they were close to talking an extension, except with when COVID hit, they kind of stopped that uh, based on reports out of there. But I would find it hard to believe he's going anywhere. If nothing else, the amount of money he raises for that university and that athletic program, uh, even with the failures to beat Ohio State and, and not win a Big Ten championship. Um, most of those fans up there remember Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke and don't want to go back to that. Not Not that he's doing leaps and bounds better. I mean, he's getting paid Saban money and he's not doing Saban results. So no, they're winning, I, they're winning 10 I, games a year. I mean, that's a lot better than what they were doing under the previous two coaches. It absolutely is. I'm not saying, I'm not saying paying, they should settle, you know, but Nick Saban money for, for 10 wins and, and the citrus bowl and, and the orange bowl every now and then it's so I, again, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, it's, it's, it's interesting that he has, he has done, he's done so well, too well to get fired or to, mm-hmm. to really do hot seat, but not well enough to make everybody happy. Michigan, and at a certain yeah. point, the Jim Harbaugh experience runs its course. It did at Stanford. Yep. Uh, it, it did with, with the Niners. It, at some point that happens. And I don't know when or if that will happen at Michigan. And obviously the, the whole pandemic has mm-hmm. screwed up everything in life, including coaches' contracts. It's just uh, just an interesting situation. Michigan's an interesting blue blood program because – most of the the big programs, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the you know the, the Florida schools, you recruit your home state well, and you do well. Michigan doesn't have prospects. If you're going to win at Michigan, you have to recruit everywhere else but Michigan. Essentially, you know Ohio Ohio's got a huge high school football program. Most of the southern states do. Texas has you know tons of recruits coming out of there, and that's always been the hard part at Michigan is you can't just recruit your local area and expect to win. You've got to recruit nationwide where other teams, you know, Ohio can put a, a, a wall around this, you know, Ohio State can put a wall up around Ohio and, and have a ton of great athletes coming in. You can't do that at Michigan. And that's always one of the problems they have in recruiting wise. Yeah, absolutely. And Notre Dame's a, a similar situation mm-hmm. yes. as well, where they have to recruit nationally. Yes. And Michigan, you know, Michigan's gotten some guys over the years mm-hmm. and in New Jersey and some in Florida and, and what have you. But they haven't recruited at an. They haven't recruited mm-hmm. at an Ohio State level. They haven't recruited at a Bama level. And mm-hmm. the expectation for Michigan is to to be an, an Ohio State or yes. or a Bama, and and they haven't been. And you know, I for a while I was really down on the Big Ten. I didn't know it was ever going to get back, just because when you look at like the long term uh, population shifts and how everything was more in the you know the, the players are in the Sun Belt and less in the Pennsylvania Ohio's, Ohio Ohio mm-hmm. areas and. Um, but uh, the Buckeyes have proven, starting with Urban Meyer, really, that they can still recruit nationally and, and get the guys, get the dudes that, that win national championships. And Michigan hasn't done it yet. That doesn't mean they can't. That doesn't mean that Harbaugh can't. Um, 
But when they're getting, you know, beat pretty soundly in recruiting by Ohio State every year and then getting beat on the field pretty mm-hmm. soundly by Ohio State every year, at some point that act will wear thin. Yes. I just don't know when that is. I would agree. And before we let you go, it's kind of weird, but there's a uh, race in town this coming weekend. One that was scheduled for, what, seven months ago? And you were there when the (laughs) sports world was shutting down and they were still practicing. And then ultimately the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg shut down. But they're racing this weekend. So what can you tell us about that? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm working on something for uh, Tam- on Tampa Bay dot com and at the Tampa Bay Times about the weirdness of, of that event in March. Where, I mean, I have vivid memories that I'm pretty sure I'm going to keep with me for as long as I have memories of how weird it was when everything shut down there. And I've talked to a bunch of drivers who were out there too. And I mean, it was such a weird experience, eerie ghost town, whatever you want to call it to where the drivers seven months later remember what they had for breakfast and what hotel room they were staying at. And uh, Will Power, who always wins the pole at St. Pete, didn't know what to do because he had geared himself up ready to race and they weren't going to race. He had a piece of chocolate cake, which is not something he had done because he was in race mode. Um, So I've got something coming on that. And the big big kind of storyline in the IndyCar level heading into the Grand Prix, it's the championship race. Instead of it being the... Uh, season opener it's the season finale and there, there's two guys with a chance to to win it scott dixon's the heavy favorite um i've written before and i believe he is one of the most accomplished dominant athletes of this generation period any sport now he's got the third uh, 50 victories which is third most ever uh, five championships probably going to get a sixth here again he, he's in uh race north american racing royalty as far as i'm concerned um, going up against Joseph Newgarden, who is the defending series champion, the defending Grand Prix champion. Um, and really, he's too old to be called an up-and-comer anymore, but he's definitely one of the stars for the sport as well, a Tennessee native. So uh, Scott Dixon can win the championship by getting uh, ninth or better. I think there's a good chance he does that. Um, and we'll see what happens with, with Newgarden as well. But uh, I'm just excited for the opportunity to see what it's like with some fans there. Um, and be out there again uh, to kind of finish what I started and what, what the driver started in March before everything went to a grinding halt. He's Matt Baker. He covers college football and racing for the Tampa Bay Times. You can read his work in the Times or at TampaBay.com. Thank you, Matt. We'll talk to you next week. You got it. Thank you. So Tampa Bay, once again, City of Champions. Glad they're going to finish the uh, run the Grand Prix, and they'll, they'll crown a champion, of course, in that race, which makes it even more interesting. So happy to have them back. Um, we also had a chance, or I did, to uh, talk with John Gruden on um, on Wednesday Who? and or Thursday. Yeah, Who? John, John Gruden, coach of the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Did I stutter? No, 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 not at all. I tell you what, man, he was. Uh, you know, he's a little down because they had to send um, had to send home their right tackle, Trent Brown. He's now in uh, COVID. COVID-19 protocol or COVID-19 quarantine. And not only that, John was like, you know, he was in a bad place, man. <laughs> I I had the first question. I go, so there's a little bit of news with Trent Brown. I go, so, you know, how, tell us, you know, how difficult has this been with you? It's been bad for everybody. You know what I mean, man? It's been, it's been hard, frankly. We had to send five of our offensive linemen home today. You know what I mean? Hope to get those guys back for the weekend. You think? Your five starting offensive linemen, yeah, you hope to get them back. I'm a little nervous. You know, we thought this went going into the season with all this COVID stuff. We've seen many games canceled, not canceled, but postponed, pushed back, pushed all the way to Tuesday in one instance, a couple of Monday night games early. 
Uh, this game is supposed to be played Sunday night. This is NBC Sunday night football game. And, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. If they have some more positive tests over there besides Trent Brown, you could see them shut down that building and you might have a situation where, you know, the Bucks won't be playing on Sunday night. Now, the problem is, is that the Raiders just had their bye week. So this is not one that you can just say, well, just, you know, We'll reschedule some games. We'll, we'll uh, you know, put the Raiders and the Bucks together again some other time because the Bucks hadn't had their bye week. This would be really problematic for the NFL. I don't know what they would do. Um, I don't know how they would move games around because, you know, basically the Raiders need to play every week unless they're You'll be getting go some action weeks. action, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday games for a few weeks to squeeze them all in somehow. Yeah, that's probably what would – yeah, exactly right. They'd have to mash them together like that. And – you know, quite frankly, I, you know, that, and this is the thing you knew that whether, whether your team has positive COVID tests or the, or your opponents do, this is eventually going to touch every team in the NFL. And this might be the Bucks week. This might be the week that they um, get impacted by it. We don't know. We'll know more today, obviously, as um, you know, they continue to test their players and uh, want to get their offensive linemen back who will be sort of removed from everybody for a while until they find out whether or not, um, you know, Trent Brown infected them. So it's just something to uh, just something to, to follow. And um, in the meantime, you know, Gruden was very complimentary of the Bucks, very complimentary of their defense, of course, and the job that Todd Bowles has done. Um, you know, as, as he said that, you know, they used to measure, and you know something about good defense in Tampa, they used to measure their defense against the best quarterbacks they would play, against the teams with the best offense, best quarterbacks. And he goes, when you can do that to Aaron Rodgers, what they did, and put that on tape, he goes, you know, you've got a hell of a defense. And so, you know, he's expecting um, he's expecting to, you know, to have a difficult time out there. And yet, um, you know, the Raiders are 3-2. and two. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs. That was a signature win for them before the bye week. And, you know, Derek Carr is playing very, very well. They can certainly run the football, and um, you know they've got uh, some good, you know, young, fast receivers. I mean, they, they they're a handful, and it's gonna be it should be a good game. Now the Raiders have given up, I think, thirty points in three of their games already this season. So, um, you know, I don't think they're gonna get thirty against Tampa against Tampa Bay. I think that the way the Bucks defense is playing, it's gonna be a, a much much more difficult task for the Raiders to do that, but. Um, the game is in Las Vegas, and um, there is no fans, but we'll get, I'll get a chance at least to see the new stadium and try to describe that for you and the excitement the city might have. Although, you know, like John said, he goes, you know, I go to work and I go home. I don't even know. We don't have a chance to interact with our fans. You know, we don't, we don't see them. We're not out in town. We're not doing that stuff. So kind of, kind of sad in that sense, but, uh, but it should be a good football game if they play. And we'll, we'll keep you uh, – keep you posted you can always go to tempbay.com too and read read all about that well, if and, they do uh, play if they do play you better have two tvs for sunday night because you've got the bucks on nbc and you've got the rays on fox all both at the same time sunday night so that's right that's right so maybe i should stay home and watch my three tvs there you go though tom jones can't see his from the kitchen i can see three from my my <laughs> media room um so yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an interesting weekend, and it's all all kind of coming together here quickly. We're gonna have um, speaking of the Rays, Neil Solons, the uh, Rays pre and post game host, to get you ready for Game Three. Really, Game Three, Four, and Five. By the time we uh, reconvene here uh, after Game Three, it's uh, 
you know, we we could have ourselves we could have ourselves a champion, uh, quite frankly, if somebody were to run the table here. So uh, we'll break down uh, the pitching matchups, of course, and everything else that uh, that you can imagine about yeah, I mean, the race. It's, it's a big weekend. I mean, you got the Bucks Raiders, you've got the Grand Prix here, you got the mm-hmm. Rays games three, four, and five in the World Series. The Rowdies are in the semifinals of the USL against Louisville on Saturday. Yeah, college football. And then college football. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Florida Florida State had a a great win last week, looking Mm -hmm. to make it two in a row this week. Florida's still off, and they're they're kind of closed their football facility. They're hoping to reopen that Monday, as Matt Baker told you. Mm -hmm. It's a lot to follow. You know, we went those months and months when everything shut down, and then everything happened at once, and Mm -hmm. I'm tired. <laughs> I I wonder if fans. I do wonder, like if like you probably. I mean, seriously, we we take, talk about the two TVs, but that's what you need. Like, there's so mm-hmm. much that was on. They just well, you're seeing, the Los Angeles Lakers just won an NBA title. I think I watched one game. You're seeing the ratings for a lot of these sports are down. NFL is down. What I think about ten percent so far this year because they're competing against year. everybody else, right? But yeah, well, you're competing against other sports. Um, you also have a lot of people that are that have lost jobs or making less money than before may have cut back on, on cable and, and those kind of things. Um, Maybe, you know, some of the streaming services have gone down significantly as sports have come back too. So like your Netflix and stuff, they've, they've kind of missed some, some target subscriber bases as people may have switched to there to get more live programming and stuff. So um, yeah, there's just a, a, there's so much, there's so much sports content right now. I mean, you know, sports that aren't supposed to be playing this time of year are playing. You know, the NBA and, and the uh, NHL, you know, we're playing into, at the end of September and October. I mean, that's, you know, never happened. So it's just kind of a – it's an overload almost. I think hockey's getting ready to start in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, probably at least January 1. But, yeah, that's – I mean, we're what, you know? At Christmas what is if only, they go to Christmas is two months from, from Sunday, so we're not that far from the end of the year. That's what I'm saying. What if they go to? What if they do something like in a camp of some kind in December? Yeah, I mean, if they start January one, there will be camps in December. Now, one of the hard parts becomes the Canadian borders closed till at least the end of the year. I mean, I, I saw that the the Raptors might play in Louisville at the the KFC Yum Center there. Oh wow! If they if the borders not open when the NBA starts, because there there's only one Canadian team for the NBA. So much like the Blue Jays played in Buffalo, Buffalo, mm-hmm. you know that the Raptors are looking at playing at Louisville at this point. If that happens, if they, if they can't have teams going back and forth across the border, and twenty twenty is going to roll into twenty twenty one, and I don't think we're going to know the difference for quite some time, maybe until next fall. But it is a uh, a sports bonanza here in Tampa Bay with um, with the Rays now tied one one in this World Series, the Lightning with the Stanley Cup, Tom Brady heading out to uh, Las Vegas. By the way, he took a day off. That was the other thing. We went out to practice. And it's like, um, hey, what's the number 12 standing over there with no helmet? What the hell? What's going on? <laughs> you know, like, because you just, you kind of think, um, is, there anything, is there a story behind this? But it turns out that uh, Bruce Arians told him to take the day off and Gronkowski as well. Now, Gronkowski's got a shoulder. They said Brady was not injury related. It's on the report as such. But a maintenance day for the GOAT, for the 43-year-old quarterback. And I'm guessing this is one of those where he's not asked, he's told. Because I, I would imagine that Brady, you know, I mean, we talk, all we've talked about all year was like how he needs the reps with his receivers and now he's getting some guys back healthy and then you don't see the quarterback out there practicing. But this is how you manage people and Bruce Arians probably does as good a job. If you're a veteran football player, and I mean this in all sincerity, um, a guy like JPP, um, Indomitian Sioux, mm-hmm. guys that are still playing at incredibly high levels, they don't practice. 
for the most part during the week. Um, they, you know, they'll get to Friday and maybe Friday's practice is pretty light. It's kind of a glorified walkthrough. Uh, they maintain, they, it's basically body maintenance all during the week. Cause you know what? They know how to play their positions. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're consummate pros. They're in their playbooks. They understand, they do the walkthroughs, they do the mental reps. They, they do enough to understand what, what the game plan is. And then the, the main thing is at, at that age is, you know, how healthy are you come Sunday at whatever the game is. So, um, but not all the coaches are like that. Seriously. Some, some coaches don't care how old you are, how beat up you are. You're going to practice if they practice and, and it just kind of goes that way. But football is a sport of attrition. You know, it's a little like NASCAR. How many pieces are you leaving on the, on the speedway? And, you know, whoever doesn't run out of gas will usually wins. <laughs> and so, um, that's, you know, if you think about Tom Brady and yeah, his arm looks really good now, but think about all the practice throws he makes. Think about all the one pat and goes, think of all the one-on-one drills, all those things during the week. Um, they start to add up, you know, it's a pitch count. And after a while, you know, you get to December, you want to have a live arm. Well, you better take care of business now. And so that's why, um, uh, that's why Arians had him sit out and he'll have him sit out again. And, um, he'll probably practice the rest of this week, but, that won't be his last day off. And I think it's, it, you know, it's probably a smart thing to do. Um, and certainly he's had success with the other quarterbacks doing it. So anyway, lots to talk about. We'll be back, uh, of course, again tomorrow with Neil Solons to preview game three and get you ready for the Bucks at the Raiders. Hey, with all these sports, you're looking for a party platter to feed your whole family? Call my friends at Mr. Empanada. You know what those are. That's when you have that uh, your favorite foods and you just they wrap it in a pocket of homemade dough and it's just cooked perfectly until it's golden brown. You can order delicious menu items from uh, scratch, including their soups, their salads, their Cuban sandwiches online at mrempanada.com at any one of their seven convenient locations in Tampa Bay where Latin food quality and service meet. It's Mr. Empanada. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 